Welcome to the official Ronnie Landis podcast show, where you learn to upgrade the human experience through natural nutrition, lifestyle design, and consciousness engineering. This is no ordinary health or personal growth podcast, and Ronnie Landis is definitely no ordinary host. Get ready to receive your upgrade in all you believed was possible, starting now. Aloha, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the official Ronnie Landis podcast show. And as always, I am your host, Ronnie Landis. I am also the founder of the Holistic Health Mastery Program. This is my online holistic nutrition certification course, which is designed to take a student from the basics of natural nutrition all the way to the most cutting-edge areas of integrative health and lifestyle transformation. This program is really unlike anything else that's ever been available on the internet featuring a comprehensive 70-video lesson curriculum, 55 bonus videos, a student community support group, and a monthly live video training with me personally, which is like doing a coaching session with me and hundreds of students from all over the world each and every month. This program has received incredible reviews and feedback from students of all backgrounds and all educational levels, such as the budding health experts and professionals to longtime holistic wellness enthusiasts, all the way to the complete beginner. There seems to be a lot here to offer to virtually everyone who has a keen interest in learning how to optimize their body, mind, and spirit through redesigning what they believe is possible, not only for their health, but ultimately for their life and the lives of those around them. And one more thing that sets this course apart from all others is that once you enroll, there are no hidden fees, no limitations on the content that you can access up front, and no time restrictions. This means that once you purchase the program, it is yours period. End of story. There's no six or 12 month time limitations with a continuation fee waiting for you at the end. This is a go at your own pace course that you can continue to access as a lifelong resource that will prove to be an investment into your education, into your health and into your personal growth that will bear fruit for years to come. So you can find more information and enroll into the Holistic Health Mastery Program at www.holistichealthmastery.com. On with today's show, and what a show that we have for all of you out there. Um, mm, I mean, this is just such a monumental show. You could tell in my tone right now, I'm having to be very present and mindful and almost take a step back because this was a moment in time that I had been looking forward to for many years since I first was introduced to an amazing book called Spiritual Nutrition by Dr. Gabriel Cousins, who is today's guest. My life was changed. My perspective was changed. My whole understanding and, and, and peripheral filter, if you will, was completely shifted and my destiny was revealed in front of me. And that's no exaggeration. I remember sitting in a park 
reading this book, reading about the subtle energy fields of the body, reading about how raw living foods affects my energy. It affects my consciousness. It affects my ability to heal. And at that time, I was in a place in my life about seven or eight years ago where I was making a transition from one stage in my life to another and trying to figure out what I was going to do with this whole health thing, this whole health and nutrition experience that was emerging through me. And this book helped anchor that in. It helped me understand that my destiny was going to be as an orator, as a voice for a message, and a message that needed another voice. And that's what happened to me, and that's what I do now in the world. And so this message was, or this conversation, I feel, was years in the making. And what a monumental conversation this was. We had to do a special 90-minute episode with Dr. Cousins because I had so many questions for him. And there were so many areas I wanted to drill in with him because I've studied his work extensively, in-depthly. I've read a number of his books. And I knew that I could I could kind of steer the navigation a wheel in a direction that probably few people really could just because um, I understand his body of work. Um, better than most, in my opinion, only because I do this work professionally and I've drawn from his body of work so extensively that I felt we could really take this conversation in a unique direction. And that's what we did. Oh, wow. I mean, um, I'm tempted to just almost give the overview of the entire conversation. But at the same time, I really, really want to just invite all of you to just take a deep breath, become very mindful as you open up to this conversation. It's one of those that really has the power to invoke something very deep within you. And we really talk about the variabilities on a high raw food diet, detoxification, why some people get very ungrounded on a living foods diet, and how Dr. Cousins helps to anchor people back on the ground, the great saying, head in the clouds, feet on the ground. Through, through dialing in your nutrition strategy. And that's been a huge help in me in my own diet, but also helping to instruct other people on a high raw food diet so that we don't experience these, these imbalances while we live in a three-dimensional world. So our feet can be anchored in the ground and we can experience an unlimited reservoir of life force energy which is the whole point of his work in spiritual nutrition in the first place. And so anyways, there's so much that can be said about this interview. I'm going to conclude my thoughts at this time, and I am going to invite you once again, take a deep breath and here without further ado, Dr. Gabriel Cousins. Enjoy. Cousins is the founder and director of Tree of Life Foundation, Tree of Life Center U.S., and Cousins School of Holistic Wellness. He has published research articles and lectures on a variety of medical and psychological topics around the world. 
He has taught extensively in 20 countries on six continents. People have come to programs offered by the Tree of Life Foundation in Arizona from 125 countries. In his book, There is a Cure for Diabetes, Dr. Cousins presents his Rejuvenation Center's program for reversing diabetes naturally. The center currently reports a 45% reversal rate in type 2 diabetes and a 21% reversal rate in type 1 diabetes in only 21 days. And there is so much more that we could say about this man, but I think it's better to just bring him on. It's with great honor that I bring on Dr. Gabriel Cousins. Okay, well, I'm very pleased to be here with you, Ronnie, and I, I want to honor you for the good work you are doing to bring a, the higher awareness to uh, really the live food movement. I like to start with a, a prayer, which is to me particularly key to live foods. It's about elevating the earth to the heavens. Mm. And uh, here it goes. L'shem yakub kudushavihu ushahinte. What it means, as I explained it, but in terms of live food, and particularly a spiritual viewpoint of live food, is how do we take the physical body and turn it into a superconductor of the divine, which is really the essence of my work and, and was expressed most clearly in Spiritual Nutrition, uh, the two different volumes that I have, which is uh, essentially, again, how to become a superconductor of the divine, how to move through the light body, which is a doorway to the higher bodies, and the life food helps open our access to the light body. So that's kind of it. That's where I got started. Uh, initially, um, in 1973, my wife and I had a, a, a dream when she was pregnant that um, the fetus was a chicken. And we woke, we both became vegans that day. That was really simple. Uh, because that was like, oh gosh, that's what we're doing. We're, we're killing and by eating chicken, we're, we're killing a sentient being. In 1975, after I received Shaktipat from my uh, one of my two uh, spiritual teachers, gurus in India, Swami Muktananda, I uh, evolved and went into the nothing. It's like every chakra lit up and then I just disappeared. But on the way down, as I started coming back into this world, uh, a little voice rang out and said, you should learn to eat and live in a way that supports the kundalini. Mm. Kundalini is the spiritual energy within all of us that when it's awakened, begins to take us to uh, liberation. So that's how I got started with live foods, because I began to explore the question, well, what's the best diet for spiritual evolution? And it became very clear uh, as I looked at the big picture, that it was a live food, vegan diet, no spilling of blood, and I saw that the ancient Rishis, several thousand years ago, that's what they did, except the touch of dairy, which in that case was live, 
and the B12, the Taoist masters, the ancient uh, Essenes, the initial Gandhian diet, kind of like in the sense the vegan from Eden, but that those were uh, essentially liberation teachings from a nutritional point of view. Uh, so that's how I really got started in in this big picture. But I wasn't the first. It's been there all along, all the way, at least for the last 6,000 years. <laughs> so that's my little story here of mm-hmm. my experience into it. Um, there's one other part is, is that, okay, my interest only initially was life roots or spirituality. But then I began to see particularly when I got back from America, I lived in India for, I don't know, for seven years, I began to see that, wow, people doing live food, a certain group were pretty imbalanced. What's going on? And so now I had to look at it from a a different point of view. I had to look at it as a, a holistic physician. And just hold on a second. As a holistic physician, and in that context, I had to look at people's health. And so I saw, wow, what, what's the problem here? And what I saw is people were really focusing on this low-fat diet, okay? And they were um, f- focusing on a low-fat diet which wasn't doing well for them because many of them needed more fat in their diet. Uh, there was this whole fat phobia, cholesterol phobia, and as I point out in my diabetes book, there really isn't uh, any evidence whatsoever that if your blood cholesterol is between 160 and 260, you're going to get any heart disease or anything like that. So it's like, and, and this is the AMA journal that really said this finally. So the point, and that was in 2009. So I'm saying, well, what's the problem? Here I am back in the early 80s. People are really unbalanced. If you just do leafy greens, you're going to create what we know in Ayurvedic as a vata imbalance. Okay? There's three, there's nine different Ayurvedic types. And... Those Ayurvedic types are uh, can handle things differently. So, if you're a vata, you're more likely to get disturbed emotionally, mentally, and spiritually if you don't have some grounding foods, such as soaked nuts and seeds, uh, pates, that kind of thing that are more grounding to the experience, uh, and, and they balance the tendency to get vata imbalanced. That's the key. So, whereas a person who's katha, which is more watery and earthy, they can do much better. But the, the initial emphasis was on what we would call a cleansing diet. But people just stayed on a cleansing diet and didn't really get the idea that you have to have a maintenance diet. Mm-hmm. So that was a shift, and I began helping a lot of people say, well, don't worry. Eat as much nuts and seeds as you want, uh, 
as I've gotten deep in more detail, uh, as I played out more with the diabetes, where we're, we're in three weeks healing 61% of type 2 non-insulin dependent and 24% of the type 2 insulin dependent in three weeks. Better as the weeks go on, but just a three-week thing, which is really, there's no res- there's no results like that around the world, okay? It, it's, it, that's 100% live foods. So, you know, but what I saw is, and this is my point, people really needed a amount of fat of not this 10% low-fat diet, which really didn't really help them anyway, 25 to 45% uh, plant, raw plant fat, that's the key. Mm-hmm. And they, they and because to heal diabetes, you have to have lower carbohydrate, and the protein has to be really between not between 10 and 20% in the diet. The reason for that is you, uh, the optimum anti-cancer profile, okay, is between 35 and 70 grams of protein a day. It turns on the longevity and anti-cancer our genetic program. So you need to stay within that. You can't really go too high in protein. Um, And 70 grams isn't very high. So it was fat where we could make some adjustment because you want a moderately low carbohydrate, which is really leafy greens, sprouts, and actually with nuts and seeds, there's some carbohydrate. But leafy greens and sprouts are your main place. I didn't mention fruit uh, for diabetes. Generally, uh, fruit somewhere around 15 to 25 grams of fructose glucose is, is, is fine. It doesn't seem to cause a problem. So I began like having to look at it from this holistic medical point of view, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Uh, and I, I, I want to jump in on this. I really love what you're sharing and, um, it, you're you're kind of leading into some of the the topics that I wanted to touch on, and maybe this is a good opportunity for me to provide even more context for everyone listening. Um, and I definitely want to touch on these specific subjects with you, but um, I kind of want to take it back for a moment, if we can. Uh, you know, my first question that I wanna I want to ask you and provide that umbrella of context here, um, for the benefit of everyone listening. Um, you know, for everyone that is both familiar and unfamiliar with your extensive work and research, is there a way that you could best sum up what your professional focus has been for the over the last 40 years as a health educator? You're kind of you're you're kind of painting that picture for us now, but I just wanted to ask that question. Sure. So let's kind of go back. First, I, I was really into biochemistry. Mm-hmm. And in college, in Amherst College, um I was like two pieces which show up in my whole discussion. Captain of an undefeated football team and uh, an inducted in the National Football Hall of Fame as a, as a college. Mm-hmm. Okay? And all New England middle linebacker and guard. Now that's one aspect. The other aspect is I also published uh, uh, papers in biochemistry and bioactive. Why in college? Okay? So I was really into biochemistry. Uh, and molecular biology. So that's what I took with me. And I went to medical school and the same thing. I didn't, uh, 
I was kind of like passed out of a chemistry thing. You know, I was getting hundreds on all the tests. So I, I they actually, I got out of my biochemistry and began doing research. And so that was an aspect, okay, coming into it with a, a serious scientific aspect, you know, a, a scientific thinking. Uh, what I saw in medical school is that they had all these metaphors that they just made up, but they didn't really understand <laughs> what's going on. It's a huge problem because it, it has a religious belief system. Right. Like, oh, vaccines are safe and effective. Well, yeah, let's look at the research. Now, mm-hmm. I'm not going to get into vaccines, but you get the point I'm making. Yes. Research doesn't support that. Oh, fat's bad for you. No, I don't think so. And eventually, you know, since it started in 1953, eventually people got, oh, raw fat isn't bad, you know. So I had that kind of uh, let's look at the research. I don't care about your opinion. What's the research say? Mm-hmm. So, so, but actually, and this is part of my work, uh, I was living in central Harlem uh, when I was in New York City at Columbia Medical School, and I developed a variety of programs and uh, things that, you know, this is back in the 60s, uh, that were really community control of Harlem Hospital. I live one block from Harlem Hospital. And I really began to see the connection between health and social action. Okay. That becomes much more an issue today with uh, psychopharmacological abuse, overabuse, drugging kids who are two years old and so forth and so on. We can talk about that a little bit later. Um, So there's a lot of pieces with that or the vaccine type of issue, uh, which, which again is, is, is de- debilitating the environment, uh, the society, the world society. So I began to get involved, uh, after I finished my residency in psychiatry and more family therapy, which is kind of network type work. Then I began to, uh, evolve into holistic medicine and I began to be very clear about a lot of people had severe hypoglycemia. You know, and if you're an alcohol, 90% of alcoholics had hypoglycemia, and they were often drinking to treat their hypoglycemia, just as an example. So I moved into a field called orthomolecular psychiatry and orthomolecular medicine. Okay? That's a, a key uh, term. And began to kind of approach it that way. And from that, I began healing diabetes naturally, hypoglycemia naturally, and so forth. And eventually in 2007, when we did the diabetes movie, I kind of set a platform that, wow, we we can do this. And so um, that's when I began kind of being put into what I call the social action. So I I have actually programs in 13 different countries, you know, in Africa, Mexico, Bali, a, a variety of places, Papua New Guinea. And because by going back to the natural ways, and I, and I call it veganic organic, I don't focus on the live food internationally. It's just enough to go veganic, no spilling of blood. That's enough of a shift. I'm working to heal uh, the precursors of diabetes, which is a high-complex carbohydrate junk food diet, the, one of the key researchers in it um, at the very beginning wrote a book called 1975 
called the saccharin disease. Basically, so 20 years after white flour, white sugar, and junk food come into society, there's an outbreak of diabetes. So now we have the social action and the science action coming together, which has kind of been the key of the trend of my work. Now, that's one level, which is the social action part, you know, and helping the whole world move to vegan and eventually life food vegan. The other aspect is how to make every single person that comes to me successful on my foods. And, and I will tell you that applying certain systems, which I have, one is the Ayurvedic, uh, at least about 99% of people succeed. That's a very high percentage. At least 99%. That's a pretty good ratio. Yeah. <laughs> and and, and the, how I do it is I individualize the diet because genetically – on chromosome 19, uh, we have a program for how much carbohydrate, protein, and fat we're supposed to eat. Mm-hmm. It's not a debatable, it's not like, oh, this is my philosophy, it's the same kind of stuff, right? No, this is what the research shows. And about 25% of the people need a higher complex carbohydrate diet and lower protein, lower fat. And about 75% need a higher uh, fat and a higher protein diet and lower complex carbohydrate. So if you don't get that right, what do you do? You, what do we see so often? Some of these are so pro-loyal food because they're in the detox part and they're feeling great. Mm-hmm. But then they, they're not eating according to their constitution. Is they 70, 75% need a higher protein, meaning you know, 70 grams, okay, which is not very high, but 70 grams versus 35 grams. And they start saying, well, I, I have to have some meat. And it's like that's a totally ignorant way to go about it. Mm-hmm. Okay. What you need is to have more nuts and seeds. And if you're a vata person, you need to hydrate those, so seed pâtés, seed sauces, and so forth. And uh, we're fortunate today we have things like Klamath Lake algae, spirulina, and chlorella. And basically, you know, I check people to see how much protein they need. A lot of people are, you know, can be protein deficient, uh, particularly if they're what we call fast oxidizers or parasympathetic. Those are two systems. And a, they need one or two tablespoons of these uh, concentrates per meal, and they're great. Everything works fine. Uh, you know, like egg is forty-four percent assimilated. Meat, fish, and chicken are 17, 16, 17, and 18% assimilated. That's not very good. And these are 90 to 95% assimilated. So you don't really need a lot. So you, you just add these protein concentrates and everything kind of uh, balances for people that need a higher protein, you know, that need the 70 grams. So that's, you know, using those systems, the Ayurvedic and uh, the fast soil oxidizer system, um, and what we call autonomic nervous system, which which is a term that unfortunately is what they use, but not very accurate. We're really able to have people be successful uh, on a hundred percent live food diet. So, so my research has then been social action, the diabetes, and individual success. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, for people like, well, how do I do this? You know, I, I wasn't feeling great. Now I'm not feeling quite so great. But, you know, and, and uh, unfortunately, 
in the vegan world, there's this tendency that they have more of a religious viewpoint, yes. which is it's got to be a complex, high complex carbohydrate, low fat, low protein. Again, it does work for 25% of the population. But the other 75% doesn't necessarily do so well. And I think it's a really, really important thing. The other contrast with the vegan, which is the energy of live food and all the levels of that, is that Dr. Bernard, uh, who's a leading vegan, and, and he's we're fairly aligned, I mean, but they have their food cooked. When he did a study for five and a half months with diabetes, having people do organic vegan, basically they got 40% reduction in medication. They didn't cure diabetes. You know, they didn't really reverse it, but they re- decreased medication. That was hell. It was a big breakthrough. But, you know, we're talking a totally different thing. We're talking 61% healed. And our people were more sick also, you know, of the non-insulin dependent and 24 of this and 100% healed which is a blood sugar less than 100, a fasting blood sugar less than 100. Wow. And what we also found, as it averaged out, is that 97% of the people came off all medications. So you're insulin-dependent diabetic, and they sometimes have oral anti-diabetic things, comes off all medications, 97% versus, that's, versus a 40% drop. So we get dramatically better results with live food. Mm. So those are kind of the areas. So I'm going to say three, the social action diabetes, individual curing of diabetes, and how to make you know, organic, veganic live fooders 100% successful. And I'm talking running at you know, 99% live food. Now, I define what we found is that if you just did 80%, uh, you know, some cook like uh, beans and, and so forth. But you 80% after a few years, you get many of the health benefits and some of the spiritual benefits of doing your 99% live food. I don't say 100 because I don't like people to be obsessive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so that's what I find. Now, since a long time, I've been this, uh, this 100% 99 to 100% live food person. And the other thing I found as an athlete is I'm getting stronger. Mm-hmm. It's like, how am I getting stronger? What's going on here? That's not supposed to happen. So uh, when I was a captain of an undefeated football team I, I, in college, I, I could do 70 push-ups, which was high more than anyone else. So at the age of 60, I did 601 push-ups on the sixth day of a fast. <laughs> okay, not when you want to up the ante, right? <laughs> And, and and now at 73, uh, I'm doing 50 pull-ups. And the best I could do at 20 was maybe seven. Wow. So, you know, it's it's kind of, it's interesting, right? It's like, wow. And I do that twice within an hour. But the, the key, there's another key here. The diet varies. Yes. So I, I, I saw that when I was... People who are 60 and over need slightly more protein. Whereas if you're like 45 or something like that, uh, excess protein doubles your rate of mortality and quadruples your rate of cancer. Adding a little protein 
uh, after 60, 65, actually increases your, your health. So I had one tablespoon of, of uh, clamethylic algae. That's all I did. At that point, <clears throat> within a few days, I went from 25 to 30 pull-ups because I wasn't breaking the, the – I wasn't getting higher than 25. And so just one little shift having to do with chronic, chronic, chronological age, suddenly – that little adjustment. So we have to keep adjusting according to who we are and what we're doing. Those are just some thoughts. And and so there's that level of research too, is that we have to more uh, scientifically uh, experiment on ourselves, Mm -hmm. make the micro adjustments. So, so in essence, our life has to become our laboratory. Exactly. Mm Mm-hmm. This is, uh, thank you so much for sharing that. Um, a number of insights emerged through me, but I'll, I'll omit some of them for, for the time being. But um, one thing I want to acknowledge for you is that it would be very easy based on the vegan association because there is so much dogmatic and religious point of views when it does come to, it comes to everything. I think it's more of a neurosis that's part of the human culture more than it is just one culture. But when it does come to veganism, one of the things that I've had a trouble navigating is the, the, the abrasiveness that comes with a lot of people's viewpoints and their intolerance to other people. Um, if someone else has an opinion or a point of view that's contrary. And so it would be very easy for someone to, put you in that box because you do promote raw veganism um and if they only saw the surface of the message they would be it would be very easy to say oh well dr gabriel cousins is probably dogmatic too and whatever um but what i when i listen to you it's very obvious to me that you're not you're not in the spirit of dogmatism you're in the spirit of scientific validation and looking at you obviously have a philosophy which drives your moral compass, but you're you're looking at the actual results, and you're like, okay, what are the results saying about um, maybe this philosophy, and how can we bring that to people that is it's not dogmatic, but it's it's based in a scientific reality. That's exactly my approach. You know, it's like. Uh, nutrition can't be a religious thing. Yes, it's religious. Yes, you should be vegan. You don't want to spill blood. And, you know, when you take the energy of death, my, one of my other two gurus, Swami Prakashananda, said it eloquently. He said, when you kill an animal, you create pain, fear, and misery. And when you eat that animal, you take that pain, fear, and misery into yourself. And it manifests in you as disease mm. and death, okay? So clearly there's there's lines in the sand, and obviously not spilling the blood of an animal is a line in the sand, okay? That's, but that's very broad, okay? Mm. Then we t- you have to look at, well, a lot of people believe you should have grains. Well, if you look at the Taoist teachings, the Taoist woman of the immortal woman of the 11th century, they say, be goo. No grains. And they also say if you mix it with fire, you, two mm-hmm. things, you don't dance on the jewel pond. The jewel pond is, is meaning liberation. So the Taoist, you know, women in the 11th century said that, but actually, uh, you know, the, the spiritual Taoist in 450, 475 B.C. 
We're also saying Beagle no grains. Okay? Because it blocks the transcendence. And and they use different words because what do you do in 475 BC? Oh, they say the three demons you get with grains. So what are we talking about? You're talking about sugar diseases, right? We're talking about candida and, and um, diabetes and things like that. So people were on. None of this is really new. So what we're looking at is is even a misunderstanding of what you know the essential veganism is is really about. And it comes down, no, you've got to have a low-protein, high-complex carbohydrate diet. And again, that has been a great disservice to many people. And then when you get into the grains, it pushes buttons more. And then when you get into the fact that soy is pretty dangerous, mm-hmm. it blocks your thyroid. It's, it uh, Actually, soy milk has 22,000 times more estrogen, okay, than, than, you know, than, than kind of what a kid should be having in soy milk. And it goes on that they did a five-year study of people having soy products twice a week, and it showed they had significantly more brain degeneration after five years. Now, these are not winning things. Plus, soy at this point, is a great deal of it is genetically engineered, maybe 86 to 90%. So I come out against soy, too. And it's like, well... Because it doesn't hold anymore. It's, it, it was cool in the 60s. We used to make our own soy in the 60s. Mm-hmm. But, but now the research comes in and says, well, no soy. You know, because it's, it's, it's cooked and it's got all these very serious problems. And it's, it's also very bad for your thyroid and your brain. And it's just, okay, so, so we have to go with what the research says. Uh, that's pretty strong and not be attached to kind of our religious conceptual beliefs, how it should be forever. Uh, let me ask you this question on that topic. I, um, I did a, a lecture in Nicaragua a couple months ago, and one of, one of the people asked me a really interesting question, question about a lot of the vegan diets out there, and I thought it was so pertinent because I have been meditating on this question for quite some time, and now I want to pose it to you. Um, Where were you speaking, Nick Weber? Uh, I, I led a, a, a seven-day detoxification retreat, and this uh, was in December. Where? Oh, uh, Little Corn Island. Hmm. We had some little community there uh, right against Ometepe. The mm-hmm. island in the middle of, of, of Lake Nicaragua. Oh, wow. Nicaragua it's, it's, it's opposite San Juan. It's like 15 minutes in San Juan. Wow. All right. Wow. Hey, go ahead. Go ahead. I get off the point. Go ahead. <laughs> no worries. Um, so here's the question. Um, as I've been observing the vegan community, I observe all the diet communities because it's a function of my work. Even if I disagree with people, I still want to know what their thought process is, where where are they coming to their conclusions. And so with this whole high-carbohydrate, low-fat, the term low-fat appears to me to be the focus. And my answer to this particular individual was that my suspicion why people emphasize low-fat is because they are associating fat with animal foods ahead of time. And so their, their dogma, so to speak, about 
animal foods is leading them to the perspective that fats are somehow bad as a whole. Like all fats in general are going to clog your arteries and it's just bad news. Um, do, do you have a similar perspective or insight on that? Well, I think you're definitely in the right direction. Uh, people clearly get confused with that. All fat is animal fat, but you know, avocados are not exactly an animal fat product, okay? Let's take avocado. People who do avocado will lose, if they don't eat more than one or two a day, will lose 17% of their weight. You know, they'll actually lose weight on avocados because the truth is fat doesn't make you fat. Carbohydrates make you fat. Right. That's another topic where I don't want to divert for a second. But they also have less heart disease, okay? So we have these myths and one of the myths is somehow animal fat, which I don't think is very good because animal in, in general, but about 96% of the toxins that we get from the environment that, you know, in our food is an animal, okay? When you eat lower in the food chain, vegan, you, you get only 4% of the toxins. So clearly, and, and, and mostly the toxins are stored in the fat. So, so animals are sponges for toxins. Right, and we don't want to do that. Okay, that being said, raw plant fat is not only safe, it's actually quite healthy. And the ancient people, before we had pesticides, herbicides, and all that stuff that we have in our environment, they, they tended to have a higher fat diet. Um, so that, that's really one level of the answer. The other level is fat does not clog your arteries. We've got to be clear about that. That's why the research, in fact, they showed research uh, with uh, 52,000 uh, people in, in Norway that women who had a cholesterol of 270, okay, wow, that's really high, right? They lived 28% longer. Mm. Okay? So there's lots of, of evidence-based uh, uh, research, it clearly shows uh, that that it's actually better for you. And in fact, people who go low cholesterol, less than 160, mm -hmm. have about six times more uh, depression and suicide. Mm -hmm. Okay? That's pretty serious. Okay? They have more stroke, more tendency for Parkinson's, and cognitive decline. When they did a study with people in their 80s, with about 700 people, they found that for every 39 points higher cholesterol you had, you actually had 15% less mortality. You know, if you're 80 and above, you're going to have a higher mortality. So they're able to get a, a microscope view of that. Now, that's an important statement. We also know that people who who have a uh, higher complex carbohydrate diet after the age of 70, because it gets worse with age, have significantly more cognitive decline. That's pretty important um, as compared to people with uh, higher fat in their diet. So there are lots of pieces here where people get it mixed up. One is associating fat with clogging your arteries. Two, associating with fat with animals. Therefore, but, but the truth is we, get, we can get plenty of fat as, as vegans, no, no problem. Nuts and seeds have very high fat content. Avocados, there are different things that we have that, you know, coconut. Um, so, we, so we have lots of uh, fat.
that we need, as much as we need. Uh, so there, there's really no problem with it. Now, I'm raising it from another angle. We're not going to get fat de- deficient. And the truth is, our livers make 80% of our cholesterol. Mm. Oh, wow. Well, then don't worry about getting enough cholesterol. It's all taken care of. But also don't worry about eating too much cholesterol, because which is mostly in animals, because it doesn't matter anyway. People with higher cholesterol live longer. Okay, so you see all the nonsense that's going on, and then people go on these low-fat diets, and it actually throws off their brain function, mm-hmm. literally, and increases rates of suicide, and and so you know this is not good. Okay, and cognitive decline. We don't want that happening. So you, you want to have the adequate fat, which what I see in the way I look at is twenty-five to thirty-five percent, twenty-five to forty-five percent raw plant fat will give you the adequate fat intake. Now, sometimes I have people with a naturally low cholesterol because there is a genetic variation. I will put them on coconut oil, which raises cholesterol, till we get it up to around 160, which is a safe zone for people. One of the things you mentioned was cholesterol, and it's 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 another kind of interesting topic because from from a lot of the what I guess I'll just for simplicity I'll say the vegan perspective in terms of again a lot of people will um, well maybe this is the best way of saying it because we have all these diet wars right we have all these like banner flag raising kind of bipartisan positions of diet and so everyone's trying to make their case and sway people to their side so what the we'll just call it the paleo side might say is that. Oh, well, you know, you need more cholesterol because you need to form your hormones and your neurochemistry and your brain functions on cholesterol, um, yada, yada, yada. And then from the vegan side, um, one Which of the- I actually agree. That's what yeah. I was saying. Yeah. But you don't need to eat meat to do that. Go ahead. Right. Yeah. And so, th- th- thank you. This this pr- This brings me to one of the points I wanted to get your take on. Um, when it comes to cholesterol, from my research, I found that, yes, I did find that most of the cholesterol under, nor- under like, ideal physiological and stress reduction-, stress reduction circumstances, our body will form most of our cholesterol. But there seems to be this thing when if somebody is hyper-stressed, if they have a stressful life, maybe they're not doing what they love or whatever the case is. That are, their body will somehow utilize all that or a lot of that cholesterol as fuel and they'll need to get that cholesterol or that fat from an outside source. Yes, and that's why I, I mentioned you have your nuts and seeds, of course, mm-hmm. but you know, don't forget the omega-3s. We've just been talking about Thank cholesterol, you. but you have your nuts and seeds, but again, coconut oil will raise your cholesterol. Mm. I use it to help people who who had burned up their cholesterol from stress or, you know, or whatever reason to get it up around 160. I like, I like to see it around there mm. for people. Okay. But we have easy, easy ways to do it. Yes, your liver makes 80%. And uh, cholesterol doesn't cause heart disease. Inflammation yeah. is the foundation of heart disease. Right. is the driving force behind diabetes plus the sugar intake. Okay, that's really what goes on. And then when the arteries get inflamed, there's certain cholesterol 
what we call the, the tight cholesterol versus fluffy LDLs who try to go in and, 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 and kind of treat the inflammation. That's how that cholesterol in the arteries comes about. But it's not a cause. It's the body's attempt to try to heal. So it's like a buffer. Yeah. It's, a, it's an attempt to heal the inflammation. Okay, so what I'm, what's coming to my mind right now, you mentioned inflammation. I often will point out that if our pancreas um, is not able to produce the, the beta cells for insulin or there's an insulin sensitivity, that sugar that's not being carted by insulin properly causes abrasions in the arteries. Is that correct? Well, I wouldn't use the word. You know, you're right on in understanding it, Okay. The main cause of the heart disease is excess sugar. Mm -hmm. What happens is the excess sugar then goes into the body, uh, into the fat cells, as triglycerides. Mm -hmm. And the higher triglycerides, the higher rate of heart disease you have. Okay? That's one. Two, sugar in itself is inflammatory. So there's two pieces to that. Mm -hmm. But it's the, the sugar converting to triglycerides that then seems to be uh, much more uh, a heart-attacking situation. Okay. So your theory, yes, the sugar is a, is a driving force, uh, but it first goes to triglycerides, then it goes into gumming up your arteries. Mm, okay. And then obviously calcification fits into this picture as well. Yes. Uh, and, and, and there's kind of several points to that, is that 85% of the public is deficient in vitamin D. Mm-hmm. So vitamin D, among other things, is cardioprotective. It works with 10% of our, our genetics. It's huge. So it affects your mental state, low vitamin D, creates diabetes, you know, contributes to diabetes, it's connected to heart disease. Okay, that being said, you need adequate vitamin D. But if you don't have adequate vitamin K, the calcium that comes in naturally through your diet, because we don't really use much calcium uh, supplement because it hasn't been shown to make to really make a difference. But that calcium, it, you know, it's you're naturally taking in with your leafy greens and so forth. It may get deposited in the tissues or in the arteries, okay, because you don't have enough vitamin K to stimulate calcitonin to make it actually go into the bones. Is that vitamin K2 that you're speaking about? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I'm, I'm aware that vitamin K2 can be taken as an MK7 supplement or comes from natto? Yes, not the miso. Yeah. Okay. Is that is that how you typically recommend it? I I like it from. Uh, uh, hold on a second. Just wait one second. I have a, a little bit of an emergency call. Mm-hmm. So, hello. Yeah. Yes. Okay.
Okay, perfect. Okay. I, I will tell you where. Okay, it sounds good, and I know we're we're in on that. I'm actually doing an interview, so I got to get off the phone. But I'll call you in about an hour. Okay. If if I need to. Okay. Thanks, Jack. Thank you. Bye bye. Okay, we're back on. Sorry for the interruption. It was. Unusual call I had to answer. Okay. No worries. I can I can edit that. Yeah, thanks. Thank you. So yes, that would help. So where are we now? Uh, so I just asked um how you recommended the K two. I I do the K seven. Mm-hmm. You know, and go from there. The conversion rate of vitamin K to K two isn't so great. So um, I, I think you need to take a supplement for that. Okay. And you know what? You just led me into an interesting area. Um, when I first got into raw food, I, like many people, was teetering between this philosophy of um, you know eating from the Garden of Eden kind of idea um, until I actually came to Hawaii and realized nature works differently than my shopping market consciousness did. Mm-hmm. Um where I realized that um, it actually isn't that simple and that in the world we live in, uh, although idealistically I would like to get everything from food, I found that certain supplements were crucial for me and still are. And so I kind of want to just point that out for anybody else listening and maybe you can elaborate on that idea. Well... What I see happening is is that, and this is a, a, a thing that between meat eaters and vegans, everyone's deficient. Mm-hmm. Everyone in this world is deficient in B12. I mean, for I'll take B12 as a good example. So if you're, if you're, uh, the minimum my B12 is 200 nanograms, but you want 400 and 450. So at 200 nanograms, the average vegan life litter is, is 80, 80% are deficient and 40% of meat eaters. But now let's go from 200 to 400 or 450, right? At 450, probably 80% of meat eaters and 90% of vegans, uh, life eaters, are deficient or vegans in general. So, uh, what I would say is those aren't really great odds. So I have no trouble since you need B12 for energy. You need it to help literally uh, convert in your, your digestive system to make carbohydrates for energy for your body. And it's a, a absolutely essential for your nervous system function and your brain function. Okay. You need it. So we live in a world where we can get it. So, that's how I, I kind of look at the picture. So then I say, well, meat eater, every, the truth is almost everybody I see needs B12. So uh, meat eaters and vegans and live foodies all need 
B12 supplement to be safe. Okay. Uh, and I think that there's a lot of uh, subtle mechanisms in there, but that's the bottom line. Uh, if you want to check out, are you in that 10 or 20% that don't need it right away? Because you have, there's a, there's a, um, a, a loop, a scintillation loop. So B12 is made in the large intestine, at least for the last 200 years. Okay. And then from there, some of it gets absorbed into the blood. Right. And depending on who you are, you know, that will be the difference of whether you need B12 or not. But as I say, over time, almost everybody gets deficient. Okay. So better to take a supplement. Now, there was a case that I mentioned in um, one of my books where there was a guy in his 90s, he never took B12, he was a vegan for 40 years. Suddenly, he couldn't walk. He couldn't think. Nothing was working right. They had no idea what was going on. Somebody had a bright idea. Let's check his B12, which it was zero. Wow. They gave him a, a few shots of B12, and he came back to life. You know, he, his mind started working. So you can take that route, but it, it isn't worth it for me. It's like, fine, I'll take a B12 supplement. And I, there are natural B12. B, what does B12 come from? It becomes from bacteria. Mm-hmm. And there are vegan bacteria, I'm going to put it that way, that are kind of, as a culture, that are, there's no animal anything or dairy anything. And you basically take the live vegan bacteria, and that is what you use. You know, and, and, and you're supplemented, and you're, you're not going to necessarily go into a deficiency. Now, for children... It's very, it's, it's much more serious. So kids aren't born with a lot of B12, but when the, the little bit of research that's been done with kids actually do not get adequate B12, they actually don't repair so quickly as the guy in the 90s. Some research it kind of suggests they don't repair, or they get some repair. In other words, damage is done. Irreversible damage. So I think that um, it's absolutely essential for vegan parents to give their, their kids uh, some sort of whole natural live B12 supplement. Now, that's just one example of, of you know, and again, meat eaters and vegans have slightly different variations, but 85% of the public is vitamin E deficient. And, you know, basically 95% of the public is uh, meat eaters, Right. You see what I'm saying? Yes. So, so these arguments really, uh, vegans really need to talk back to the media and say you're you're equally deficient. You know, maybe slight variations, but you're also going to have B12 deficiency. Uh, and I think that's the way the uh, a scientific way the argument really goes. Mm-hmm. And most everybody's vitamin D deficient, eighty five percent, and. 80% are magnesium deficient, even though we're having leafy greens with lots of magnesium. And and, that's, and then vitamin A, the conversion rate really isn't so great, you know, in, in, the, in the beta carotene. So about 47% are deficient also in vitamin A because they don't convert into the, the, uh, the retinol. So mm-hmm. it's... It's like that everybody's deficient. 
So it's like, it's not like if you're vegan with food, you need supplements and other people don't. And we live in a world that stress is so high that we just use our B vitamins up or our B12 up and so forth. I, I really appreciate that perspective. And I think that's the crux of the matter is that we are living with more psychological, emotional, and to some extent physical stress. That is, it's chronic stress, right? It's not like... Even from the paleo perspective, it's not that, oh, like maybe like once a year we went and hunted an animal and then that was our stress. Like you're literally living, or not you, but I mean people are literally living with chronic stress every single day. And that is like a catabolic storm that it's literally breaking people's body down from the from the mindset down. And so... I have a question. A rat, a well, you know, I'll just say it like you got chemtrails. Right. You know, you have uh, radiation stress. You have pesticide and herbicide stress. So we didn't have that before. Even if you're eating organic, you're still getting a certain amount of pesticides and herbicides in your system. Yes, if you're vegan, you're eating lower in the food chain, you're going to get less. You know, if you take vegan kids, they'll have one quarter to one sixth amount of pest vegan organic kids. They'll have one quarter to one sixth the amount of pesticides numbers, but they'll still have some. So this isn't going away. So it's just a chronic, toxic synergy that people are facing, and supplements are a way of countering it. I, I just had a thought, you know, um, fat, like saturated fat, the right kind of fat, is kind of like an insulation from a lot of the toxic stress that we face. Yes. Right. Mm. Um, okay, wonderful. I, I, I want to shift into, with the time we have, there are two questions that I really just want to make sure that I present for you. Um, now, you've kind of laid into this one, but maybe after I ask the question, it'll provide some more um, distinctions. So here it is. How can somebody truly thrive on a high raw vegan or even vegetarian lifestyle long term? Because as we've talked about, and we have seen over the decades that some people who are highly passionate about this lifestyle either forget to do what they preach or they simply fail to get the results long-term that they may have received in their youth. So what I would say, because I use myself as the laboratory, right? Mm-hmm. In my book, Conscious Eating doesn't promote one way of doing it. It promotes approaching it consciously. So the, the key is we have different constitutional types. And, you know, some people need higher protein, some people need lower protein, some people, you know, need to, to balance, eat, to balance cough or vata or pitta or combinations of those. There's nine combinations. So the reason I'm successful, okay, not just for myself, but for people I work with, that 99% success rate, Actually, there's only been one person in 40 years who hasn't really done it, and she was a person that lived in the Arctic Circle, okay, and there was some genetic thing. But the point I'm making, and she had that fish once a week, it's like, okay, that's it, okay? But what's my point? You have to apply all the principles of your unique constitution to your diet. That's the key, okay? Um and I want to just take it from diet point of view. Everybody needs to do a certain amount of exercise, 
and so forth and so on. But but dietarily wise, which is really what we're talking about in the moment, that's what has to be done. People actually have to understand that we're unique beings and we need to approach our our diet according to our age, mm. I mean our, our our position in our lifestyle, because uh, in our life cycle. So, for example, when kids are pre-puberty, you, you, they need more of a kapha, uh, uh, ameliorating diet. They need a little bit more uh, bitter, pungent, and astringent foods. Dairy, ice cream, those are terrible foods for kids. That's why we have so many kids that are over, uh, an epidemic of obesity. Mm-hmm. Okay? So, but, but at, you know, above 45 to 60... And above 60, then you need a vata pacifying. Everybody needs that, okay? Slightly more sweet, sour, and bitter foods because that's um, sweet, sour, and salty foods because that actually is going to balance the vata. So you have to kind of go with your lifestyle. You have to go with your your life cycle, your lifestyle, and your unique constitution. When you bring those together, then you're creating a you know an appropriate move for your total situation. That's why I get ninety nine percent successful. Hmm. And I and I imagine from your perspective, there are certain transitional strategies that people can use depending on their phase and stage of life. Like for example, you mentioned that. One woman, um, she whether she had to or not, she did have fish once a week, and I find that an interesting thing for you to say because of your your veganic position, but also at the same time understanding that there are variables. So I think actually my question, um, out of my curiosity, is that do you? And that's one person in forty five years. That's one person in forty five years. Okay, got it. So I was so my question I guess following that up was going to be um are do you find a place transitionally that animal foods work? Well, I I stopped in one day because of that dream. Yes. Okay. Mhm. So not everybody you know once does that. Right. So the way I look at it, take your time. Because everything mm. should be done with joy, not like, right. uh, I'm not happy with this. Because that's not a good healing situation. Mm. So whether it's a month or a year, uh, you know, or a week, you, I suggest uh, right now, because of the radiation and the oceans, I suggest letting go of fish to start with. It's not what I used to teach, but... Hey, Fukushima didn't really wasn't a, a thing then, and Chernobyl was a slightly different radiation exposure. Okay, then I go to chicken because that's it's got so many problems. About a hundred percent of chicken has salmonella, even quote organic free range. Okay, so that's not so good. And you know, maybe it will take you a while to get we are there. And then I go to beef. Okay. So we're getting rid of the antibiotics, but you're doing it kind of over a, a period of time, depending on your personal willpower and, and commitment to it. Because you don't want to stress yourself, because that's not the point. You want to stretch out of the box a little bit, but not go so far out that you're going to rebound. Mm. 
because we don't. So I, I want people to avoid rebounding. Uh, so over time, people slowly let go, slowly let go. Fasting is extremely good yes. for uh, uh, getting rid of your cellular memory. So that accelerates the, pro, uh, the, the whole process significantly. So after meat, fish, chicken, and then we do dairy. And uh, dairy, like meat, has actually, and like grains, like wheat has 11 to 15 opioids, opium-like substances that make you addicted, okay? And dairy has some of that opioid uh, tendencies, and so does meat. So what's my point? My point is that these things are actually addicting, and sometimes you, if you just go a little slow, you can slowly wean yourself off them. And then you can, it's like dairy has caseomorphines. Oh, that's addicting. Why? Well, because the mama cow puts it in her milk so the calf doesn't stray too far. It gets addicted. Oh, interesting. So, but the point I'm making is, okay, you've done that. Now, we don't, at the Tree of Life, okay, we're a total organic, organic experience, and... We don't do the grains because we have that kind of Taoist mix into the story. Mm. You know, be goo, no grains because it, it too much carbohydrate and blocks it. So we don't, we have some sprouting grain, you know, like we have millet and, 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 and buckwheat and quinoa sprouted, but we don't really have it otherwise. You know, just as a little condiment. So, you know, that's the next step because, again, it blocks the path to transcendence, you know, be you. So there are all kinds of things we do, you know, in this kind of wraparound organic, veganic thing. We do veganic farming. Well, what is that? Well, we don't use bone meal, blood meal, uh, or manure. Why? Because the animals are fed GMO. So <laughs> that goes in the blood, bone, you know, those story. So fine. We don't use anything from animals. So we have GMO-free food. And it goes on like that. So there's levels. So what we try to do for people is create a context where they can feel comfortable in making that transition change. So and believe it or not, 50% of the people are still eating meat when they get it. Now, it's not the case when they leave, but when they get it. And now that, oh, say, this is comfortable. This is, this is a total lifestyle. This is great. You know, 100, and we always serve 100% live food, okay, obviously vegan. And, and so they get an exposure to, wow, this is fun, tastes good, feels good, mm. I feel more energy, then they get encouraged. And that's part of the success of our 21-day diabetes program and our 21-day kind of, we just have a call the transition program, uh, where people come and, you know, they look at their mental aspects to it, and we fast for a week and, and learn conscious food preparation. So we have all these training and empowerment. To me, empowerment is very important. If you really, oh, I want to be life for vegan, but you don't have any skills, it's pretty, it doesn't lend to success. Mm. So we have, you know, certain levels of a course, one-week long courses, we teach organic vegan farming, one-week kind of course, you know, and we have fasting, we have a kind of a psycho-spiritual mental uh, approach, you know, to help people get rid of their thought forms, because people have thought forms about all these things. It's not all about food, but it's generally show people how to work on themselves. 
then the whole movement to transition becomes one heck of a lot easier. Mm-hmm. And that's the point we're talking about. How do you make transition? Well, you have to empower. You have to, people have to feel good why it's happening. Okay, so when you're in a surround around thing like you're what we created the tree of life, wow, your chances of success are much higher. Okay, mm-hmm. and then you have the support system in general as well. So that's how I, I look at it. That's why we were able to be a place of transition for people. I'll tell you one more thing that's very important about this whole thing. A lot of people come, we've had people from over 126 different countries uh, come. Uh, you know, so every time we send out a notice, it's out of date. You got 125, but it's 126. But the point is, um, they, they have to kind of like, uh, kind of have fun. Okay, and a lot of people say, "Well, wow, I've reconnected to my soul." Now, mm. for my in my world, that's called having fun. <laughs> and, and and when you connect to your soul, reconnect your soul, which is a big part of the tree of life, being a very spiritual, uh, organic, organic life food center, which is it's an own unique offering to the world. Then you start to love yourself enough to want to heal yourself. Wow. And so then you start to be much more motivated in the story. So you connect, you reconnect your soul, and then you start loving yourself. And then you got, oh, good. I love myself enough to want to heal myself. Then you have much greater motivation for making the transition. So all those are very important factors in the big picture. That, I, I would love to punctuate what you just said because – through my my years, and I obviously don't have the years in this that you do, but I've come to a very obvious conclusion in my own self um, about this whole health and healing and nutrition journey and, and how it can be often convoluted by the details of the superficial, if you will, but ultimately we're all trying to make our journey back home, so to speak. And I found that the detoxification process for me essentially is stripping away all that I'm not in order to reveal all that I am. Nice, nice. That's really good. Mm -hmm. And I found once I came to that personal place, all the stress and all the identity and, you know, all that mental... um, construct all the stuff that was weighing me down psychologically and emotionally started to fade away from me and then I got into touch with what worked for me spiritually like how do I feel in my body when I do this how do I feel when I entertain negativity opposed to when I entertain positivity and it became as simplistic as that sounds Dr. Cousins I have to tell you working with other people that have I have a number of clients with stage three, even stage four cancer, and I spend a very little amount of time in the first conversation talking about the diet, and I go right into, you know, look, like what's your relationship like? What are your? Do you love what you do, or do you feel in conflict with what you do? Like we go through all those layers of the onion to get to the heart of the matter, because I'm very convinced that. The emotions crystallize themselves into the physical tissue and create the manifestation of something we call a disease. Do you? Do you? Yeah, I think it's a good perception. I okay. Agree. Okay. So I re- so I really just appreciate that perspective and bringing about to the central core essence of love, and that leads me into this next 
topic that I want to I want to unfold with you. Um, there were three books that I attribute my my initial transformation in this field to. It was um, the first one was the Sun Food Diet Success System by David Wolf. The second one was a Diet for America, a New Diet for America by John Robbins, and the other book was Spiritual Nutrition. And so with that, I would love to discuss your classical book, Spiritual Nutrition, which was really the foundation of my personal work, the work I do in the world. And I want to ask you, why do you feel that book is still such a foundation for so many people in our field? And maybe even what separates it from so many of the other health-driven books in the world? Okay, so my focus reflects the book, which is I see how do we eat to become superconductors of the divine. Okay, you know, that's that's the essence. So I have two. My first spiritual nutrition book came out in 1986, and then later. Uh, that spiritual nutrition rainbow diet and its understanding of foods by the outer covering, which reveals the inner uh, essences. And the second is, you know, spiritual nutrition, uh, I'm going to say, uh, you know, elevating the Kundalini. So the, the point is, okay, is that my angle isn't about my physical health as primary. Okay. My angle is about my spiritual evolution. And that's what's coming in. So how do you, that came out of that meditation experience in 1975, which is this voice rings out and says, you should learn to eat and live in a way that activates the Kundalini, Mm. which is the primordial spiritual energy, evolutionary spiritual energy that's stored in our bodies. When it's awakened, it, it takes us to liberation. So, uh, not that you can eat your way to God, but what, which is not a small point there. Um, but what we do find in some studies I've done is 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 ninety five percent of the people who move to a life food diet have more spiritual interest. Okay, that's it. They just have more spiritual interest. Eighty-seven percent in a study one of my master's students did because we have a master's school. Uh, you know, people get a master's degree in, in spiritual nutrition. She found uh, in surveying five hundred and twenty-five people, there was an eighty-seven percent increase in uh, creativity, spiritual interest, clarity of mind, that kind of thing. So clearly, it. It improves uh, all levels of uh, mental functioning and spiritual functioning. And I'm going to just say also emotional balance. Like after people were on this diet for two for two years, so you had to be two years on the diet. Um, the amount of depression dropped fourfold. It's just an example because life was tends to stimulate your neurotransmitters. Okay, that's just a little subtlety that I'm bringing in. Um, so my point is that when you're doing a life food diet, it does help your body become a superconductor of the divine. And that's my that's the angle that makes my work different. We're coming from a 
consciousness point of view, one in a spiritual point of view. So, and, and also, there's not one way to do it. So, as I explained, you got to be conscious uh, as you approach the whole live food vegan issue in a way that don't get caught in everybody's belief systems, but work out the best according to your constitution, your variable constitutions. But in moving this direction, you will have more spiritual interest. And I think that's what people experience. And that's what makes my book unique. It's a really a spiritual teaching uh, and secondary and nutritional teaching. Mm, I, I really appreciate that too, is that what I'm hearing from you and what I remember from the book is that the foundational message was that of conscious awakening or conscious exploration. And then the dietary strategies come after that as a byproduct of consciousness. Right. And as a motivation from consciousness, I want to eat this way because I'm going to enhance my consciousness, right. my spiritual sensitivity. Oh, well, then I'm, that's your motivation. Yeah, I I remember telling somebody one time I was talking about vegan and vegetarianism and I had no I had no um, uh, what do you call it judgment about it. All I said to her was like, look, this is my experience meditating as a vegetarian and then as a vegan is a lot different than what it was when I was eating meat. Simple as that. Yeah. So I, I actually, you know, that was part of the motivation as I did the research. I, because I began working as psychiatrist, people had uh, some difficulties with the Kundalini uh, arising uh, for a variety of reasons. And they began to eat meat as, as, as a form of self-medicating. Ah, uh, yes. Because meat, I mean meat, fish, chicken, and, and really uh, and dairy, uh, acts as a sludge to the Kundalini. It, there, there's 72,000 nadis, which is part of the subtle nervous system, and it acts as a sludge to it. So it actually blocks the flow of the spiritual energy. So people begin to do it as a way of self-medicating to tone the energy down a little bit. That I find, and that when I realize that, wow, then it goes the other way. So if you're going to eat that thing, you're not only bringing death into your subtle system, but it actually sludges the flow. Mm, that's a really interesting term you just used because oftentimes people will take the interpretation that it's it's helping them ground the subtle energies that they're not able to anchor in for whatever purpose. But you you use the word sludge, which is a distinctly different term. Yeah, it's distinctly different. <laughs> and it definitely, in, in the yogic system, we, we talk about nadis, which is your subtle a nervous system. Yes. And there's 72,000 nadis, and then there's three main ones, Ida, Pangali, and Shishuna. And mostly the Kundalini moves up the Shishuna or, or the central channel. So if your meat, fish, chicken, and dairy bring the energy of death into them and actually blocks the flow. And that's like it's a not really grounded. There's lots of ways to ground in the healthy way. <laughs> So that's kind of like a tamasic perspective, like a like a dead food or a junk food type of lifestyle, like meat, fish, chicken, all that kind of thing. Dead foods essentially fit into the tamasic consciousness, if you will. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. We have we have a little bit of time, like you know, maybe like ten minutes left here. Actually, I would love to just um, talk about that for just a 
quick moment, if we could, the, the Tomasic, Rajastic, and Sadvik kind of perspective, because that's something I personally get a lot of value out in, in terms of like how to categorize um, different strategies for, for conscious um, purpose. And I think that might be beneficial for everyone. So the, these are terms that have to do with, in India, we call gunas. And there are three kind of states of consciousness. And we carry all those states with us, more or less, and that's important. But we want to eat in a way that's going to stimulate the, the best state for spiritual life, which is sattva, which turns you in towards your inner light. And that's basically the live food, vegan diet. Okay? The tamazic, the rajizic diet, is a little bit warrior diet, and... It's going to turn you outward, but in creative and good ways. So you're eating good, healthy food, you're eating organic food, and you may be having some meat along the line with that, okay? But everything is organic and prepared right, and it's fresh. And that's more activating, okay? Which, honestly, according to your consciousness, is, is I explain, well, you know, doing 50 pull-ups at age 73, it's obviously I have that... Tamasic strength there. I mean, not Tamasic, but Rajizic strength. The Tamasic diet is a diet that creates sloth. Mm-hmm. It's junk food, white flour, white sugar, you know, food that's been hanging around for four days, you know, where it's lost its vitality, and it's a lot of uh, drug usage and so forth. Um, and then what we know is at least 20 million people in the United States aren't illegal drugs, but it's a sloth-type creating energy uh, without getting too complicated. A lot of, and there's 70 million people on psychopharmacological drugs, which, again, brings your consciousness down. So the sloth diet is really junk food, white flour, white sugar, and, and it, it turns you into a sloth, you know, spiritual sloth. It, it, it isn't just that you go inside, you kind of stay stuck in this, uh, in the classical term, they'll say kind of a criminal mindset. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's the classical Ayurvedic term. Rajasic is a warrior mindset, and the uh, sattvic diet, which is what we've been talking about with the live food, organic, organic diet, is the one that turns you in towards the light of who you are. And it's the spiritual mindset. So those, so the diets do create a mindset, you know. And and when we choose those diets, you know, and when we emphasize those diets, then we're we're you know one of those diets. We're going to get those results. Mm. Wonderful. Thank you so much for that that breakdown. And um, with the with the last few minutes we have left, I just want to ask you. Um, you, you've done so much, Dr. Cousins, you've dedicated so much of your life and energy to this. What do you see for, you know, we don't know how long or short life's going to be and hopefully, um, you know, it's just going to keep on going for you. But in the time that you do have left, I like to ask elders these kind of questions as a young man in my early thirties, I like to get perspective on this. Where you're at in your life, what do you see as the future of your work and what kind of impact do you want to continue to make? Um, what I, I would 
say is is that there's only God. So my my mm. my whole perspective is trying to um, live in a way that mo- most enhances the enlightenment process for the planet and live in a way that keeps me in the optimum, personally, you know, sattvic, healthy state, which it feels like I'm getting stronger and many things are improving, which which is interesting, which is positive, of course. But it's really to bring that message to the world. In the, in the vegan context, what I would say is, you know, bringing uh, organic, veganic, uh, life food veganism to the world. And that's what a lot, all my diabetes problems kind of carry that energy. Okay, because I, I know that for the healing of the world, okay, uh, we, we really need to go to a veganic diet. And even the United Nations, the World Health Association, and the European Union have, even as late as 2010, uh, began to very gently mention that we need to move towards a vegan way of life because we're just burning up, uh, you know, animal uh, agriculture is burning up all the resources on the planet. Okay, so, so it's bringing that kind of consciousness to the world and then working with people individually to help as many people move and become uh, liberated as possible. And uh, I, I call it holistic liberation, you know, because traditionally it's just, you know, meditate and do that. But I'm bringing a very unique message, which is... Uh, a holistic approach to, to the liberation process. So it's humanitarian work, which is going on all over the world. We're spreading into, as I say, we're in 13 countries, but we're spreading throughout Mexico and, uh, you know, Africa and, and a lot of places bringing this message there and people are responding. That's the humanitarian overall spiritual inspiration work. And also working with people individually who are seriously inter- interested in the, uh, their own liberation, and and so the Tree of Life uh, Center, a Tree of Life Foundation, becomes a uh, a brain trust for kind of getting that message out to the world. And I would say that's where it goes. And you just keep doing it, um, and without expectation. But because it's your dharma, which is what we call your, your life work or uh, righteous living, those are different terms, but they mean the same thing, your individual dharma. Big dharma is to know God. Mm. Beautiful. So in other words, we are not treating life like a vending machine. We are do- <laughs> we are doing the work because it's it's our joy to do so, and um, we will get blessings and miracles. But uh, that's not why we do this work. Exactly, we're doing it because it's it's our individual dharma, it's our task, and that task elevates you spiritually. You're always given your world assignment in a way that elevates you spiritually. Mm. So that's the way. So you have your one, the true dharma is to know God, and then your personal dharma is whatever that is that elevates the world. But the, all the tests and trials you go through are what then elevate you spiritually. 
That's a great perspective. Oftentimes we will take those tests and trials as some kind of negative, why is God uh, what is, why is God uh, punishing me kind of story. But the reality is that, the, that those are just checkpoints in our evolutionary journey. Exactly. And in a sense, there's an old kind of teaching, Torah teaching, which is whatever God does is for the best. <laughs> and if we kind of see it that way, it really helps. So it's all good, but it's a question of understanding or extracting the good. Mm. Okay. So in 75, 1975, when I got, you know, learned to eat in a way that I learned to Kundalini, I really didn't exactly know what Kundalini was, and I had no idea. But when God whispers in your ear, you have to kind of pay attention, and then that's your assignment. Mm. You know, so partly then is how do we tune into our life work and our life assignment? So my goal is just keep going in that direction, although I will say that uh, more focus on the spiritual for people and supporting people who really are serious about their spiritual life, you know, to, to support that group of people as well, you know, as a subset of bringing the whole vegan, organic, vegan message to the world, you know, and, and help transform the world in that way. Mm, wow. I think that's a beautiful point to conclude this on. And I just want to reiterate, this has been an incredible honor and pleasure for me to do this interview with you, to have this conversation that I've been looking forward to for at least half a decade. So thank you for this opportunity. Well, I'm pleased. I really appreciate the good work you're doing. I I think... um you are, as you say, in your early 30s, and look how advanced you are in understanding what's going on. So it's really good that people like you are out there, you know, helping transform the planet. And I'm, I'm very pleased to support you in that work. Mm. It's great. I'm very happy with that, you know. And, I get, you know, I'll invite anybody who wants to really, you know, see the total lifestyle and told a person to come visit us at the Tree of Life. You know, you just look up drcousins.com. It's pretty easy. And you get the picture. We have uh, scene courses uh, that are coming up. I have a intense week lecture series on a lot of these topics, but in a lot more depth than you can do in an interview. You know, and then we have our 21-day trans- transformational program, which we mentioned, and our diabetes program, and our... Uh, Conscious gardening program. So we have a, we're all set up to help people make that transformation into the next step in their lives. Thank you. I was going to ask for that information too. And so it looks like you're still giving regular lectures there when you can. Yeah, we, we do uh, four 21 day programs a week, a year. Four okay. 21 day pro- you know, a year. Then I have a fast in the Middle East and I'm doing. Sometimes they do fast and bowing. So, but here, it's four a year, plus these other courses. Like we have the Modern Essene Gathering, which is a three-day event. And, and, you know, the full-on holistic lecture series, which uh, is a one week uh, every other year. I mean, we have lots of programs. It's, it's really an educational center, but it's also a spiritual center and because they're one. Mm-hmm. You know, it's holistic 
liberation, holistic approach liberation. So that's kind of what we're really offering as an experiential, as a direct experiential. Mm. Wow. Thank you so much. Um, all, all that information, by the way, for everyone listening is in the show notes. You can go directly to the website. In this day and age, I'm pretty sure everyone knows how to find books and order books. Um, and Dr. Cousins has some of the absolute best books on these subjects. Um, Depression-free, by the way. We didn't get to talk about that, but that was one of the original books Mm-hmm. Um, that I really got into and my focus in psychological and psychotropic health and nutrition. That was one of those books that was just pivotal for me. So that's another one I just want to throw out there for everyone listening. Yeah. So we got 13 different books. So check it out. DrCousins.com. That's an easy one. There's a lot going on. You know, when we're here, you know, you support the worldwide movement, but each people who are really serious about their spiritual work, you know, and working with people kind of individually, they have to come and experience, you know. So all that's there. Mm-hmm. Okay. Dr. Cousins, it's been an honor and pleasure. Thank you so much for joining me. Okay, well, Ron, thank you, and thank you for your good work. It's 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 a it's a joy and honor to work with you and support mm-hmm. you because you're I know you're doing this really continuing the spread of this energy and that's really important yes sir Uh, and then for everyone else listening thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the official ronnie landis podcast show with our esteemed guest dr gabriel cousins all the information for his website is on the show notes you can easily go to his website and Oh, I don't want to take up any more time talking all about this. Obviously, I'm excited about this. So, if you've seen, if you listened to this whole interview, you made it here for a reason. You clearly did too. So, I want to say thank you for tuning in. And until next time, I'm wishing everyone much aloha. Okay, great. Take care. <laughs>